Hello, folks. Dr. Maurice Selby here, medical director, producer, and co-host of Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM and the Health in Harlem podcast. While we strive to bring you the most up-to-date, reliable, evidence-based information to help you live the healthiest life possible, this show does not substitute for an evaluation by a trained and licensed medical professional. It is highly recommended that any advice or recommendations on medications, treatments, nutrition, fitness, preventive services, etc. be implemented under the guidance and supervision of your primary medical provider or appropriate specialist. With that said, we hope that you enjoy and learn from our program, and please be sure to let us know how we can best serve you in future shows. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience. My name is Maurice Selby. My name is Reed. And you're listening to the one and only Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM New York, the voice of Harlem and the Health in Harlem podcast. And just some updates before we jump into our topic for this show. Uh, we got we got to talk about monkeypox, Reed. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a problem. It's a problem. We talked about this in a prior program, and I think we seemingly had a much better handle on the spread of this illness. And I, I remember in that previous show praising the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. I'll still say that I still praise them in the work that is being done to contain the spread of this illness. Yeah. But I think the cat was already out of the bag, man. And we did that show. It seems like they only have a good handle on things when it's just starting and they're able to track outbreaks pretty well. But I feel like mm-hmm. once it's reached a threshold, uh, once it's past a certain point, it's just kind of it just kind of spirals out of control. It's out there. And that's the thing is that this was forecast, as we said in that prior show, June 2021. Right. That's when the first case was diagnosed here. In the United States now at that time we weren't in the midst of what we're dealing with now as far as this um, and, and right now ladies and gentlemen just to put it into perspective we have a total of 791 cases diagnosed here in the continental United States this is as of yesterday July 8th 2022 at 2 p.m. and this is um basically a map and case count that is out there made up by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We see the largest amount of cases in California and in New York, actually New York with the most. You know, I I think when we talked about this, Reed, in that that last program, uh, we were mainly talking about how our public health agencies, especially organizations like or agencies like the Centers for Disease Control, forecasting that this was going to happen. Um, that this virus that we typically see in or is really endemic to Central and West Africa 
right? That there would be future outbreaks. They predicted this, but I do, I don't think this was really what we all had in mind as far as this spread. Mm -hmm. So we see it continuously spreading uh, in many communities here in the United States um, and also around the world. And this is something that I've definitely seen some experts out there talking about this now becoming something that, right, if we don't get a better handle on it, something that will be endemic in many places uh, of the world. And and especially when we talk about sexually transmitted infections, which we know, um, especially since the onset of the COVID pandemic, we've seen a significant spike in sexually transmitted infections. And ladies and gentlemen, one of the ways in which we know that this is spreading, right, it spreads by very close contact, um, especially direct contact with the rash or scabs or body fluids of an infected individual. There can also be respiratory secretions. Um, so prolonged face-to-face contact or intimate physical contact, such as kissing or even sex, can spread this, mm-hmm. right? There are some individuals out there, some experts talking about this being something that we'll see um, spreading because of sexual contact. It's going to be another STI, sexually transmitted infection, that we will be dealing with for the foreseeable future. Now, what's the danger, right? Because I think that's one thing everybody's like, well, what's the big deal with this going around? Yeah. Well, one thing, and we talked about this before, there are some very susceptible populations um, and they are kind of the same populations that we talked about uh, being concerned with COVID, right? The very, very young, the very, very old and individuals with compromised immune systems, um, even pregnant women, um, they can spread the, the virus to their fetus through the placenta and and that can affect the baby, of course, um, and the mother themselves. So there are some susceptible groups um, that could be significantly adversely affected from infection with this. But also even the rashes themselves, right, they can be pretty disfiguring uh, for in- individuals. And it's just one of those things that we you just don't want to have, you know. Definitely. Yeah. They're not even fully sure uh, exactly how contagious the virus is yet. There was a study mm-hmm. posted on MedRxIV on June 13th, and it used a bunch of UK data bases about monkeypox. And so they made different modeled scenarios at different risk levels. Uh, and they found that without effective intervention measures or behavioral changes, a large and sustained outbreak with more than 10,000 cases among MSM globally is highly likely. In contrast, they said sustained transmission in the non-MSM prop population is unlikely in all scenarios considered. So it's working its way into certain groups and it's it hopefully is not going to be there to stay. But uh, based on some different scenarios, there is some likelihood of it taking off. And I feel like that's one part of the conversation that we really can't afford to avoid. And I think that's one thing we're all very wary of um, as far as the stigmatization that can come with what we're seeing. Right. What is actually known, ladies and gentlemen, this is the data. That's that's really Mm -hmm. um, right. It's hard to deviate or not talk about the fact that this is something that, as Reed mentioned, is largely being seen transmitted amongst Uh, men that have sexual contact or intercourse with other men. Now, no one is fully sure why this is the case. There are some theories out there, including just considering 
that these there might be many closely knit networks of individuals that are having sexual contact or very close contact with one another. And that is leading to the spread. But also, you know, aside from acknowledging that from a risk standpoint, right, um, to individuals that do have sexual intercourse with um, other men. Well, this is mainly out there for your protection, just having this information. Right. We, We have to be more careful. But also, I think. Uh, as far as the general population, one thing that we need to understand, everybody, is that this is not limited to exactly that yeah. group, right? And yeah, it can be exactly. caught by anybody. It can be caught by sitting too close to the person next to you on the bus for too long and rubbing arms with them for a while. You know, that it's, might be the most heterosexual contact. Yeah, as well. exactly. That might not be the most likely scenario, but it could. So it's mm-hmm. uh, you have to be very careful about stigmatizing this disease and and saying that it's it. It is only among uh, men who have sex with men because then a lot of people will be embarrassed to come forward if they find themselves with symptoms. But that's the thing, too, is that I think that looking at right what happened happened with, let's say, uh, HIV, Mm -hmm. right, and the spread of HIV and the difficulty in containing it and what happened with the stigmatization of the gay community, right, in the 80s, we saw what happened with that, the fallout, right, and that- Um, this was something that ultimately spread to everyone, right? And all groups being involved in having um, complications from mm-hmm. that illness. Um, and so the same thing right now, this is our chance to um, try to contain this. And so that stigmatization um, stuff has to go, right? We got to get that out of our minds. This is not something that is related to any more moral issue, right? When we yeah. talk about um, people's sexual practices, that stuff goes out the window, right? Everybody is susceptible to this. Everybody can spread uh, this illness. And so we have to be more cognizant about our close contacts. And we're not just talking intimate contacts, right? Individuals that display symptoms consistent with this. So a new weird rash, um, individual with scabs on them or some sort of lesions on their skin, Um, And as a prodrome to all of this, we did talk about sort of the viral prodrome, right? So um, just as other sort of droplet spread illness or respiratory uh, illnesses that can affect the respiratory tract, individuals can have sort of a viral syndrome, very similar to what we've seen with COVID, right? They can have fevers, they can have chills, they can um, have fatigue and malaise. Um, There are even cases in individuals having nausea, vomiting, Mm -hmm. um, diarrhea. And actually very atypical symptom or I don't want to say very, but what is considered atypical for this illness. Right. There are symptoms that are different than what was traditionally seen with monkeypox. And so we got to be careful. So individuals coming off of an illness like that, we want to be careful with sort of whom we engage, um, especially when we talk about intimacy. And this is something that we've always talked about on Health in Harlem as far as our sexual health, um, the partners um, that we sort of choose uh, in our lives, all of us, everybody, Mm -hmm. right? doesn't matter whom you have intercourse with, but we have to be very careful uh, with this going around. Yeah. And this is a major issue. Um, mm -hmm. STIs just in general are up during the pandemic and especially among younger individuals. And this isn't the most scientific thing, but I saw like an online poll the other day of individuals in my age range, you know, the 
late teens to 20, late twenties. Um, and it was asking everybody, you know, how many times in the past year have you been tested for STIs? And mm-hmm. the, it was over, it was like somewhere around 70% of them reported zero times, uh, in the previous year. And my mind was blown. Yeah, man. Just some, some quick information out there, individual, uh, everybody, as we move forward, just some prevention steps, right? We need to take uh, into account the following. So avoid, as we said, close skin to skin contact with the monkeypox rash. I know it's much easier said than done, right? We can't even yeah. fully or 100% say what we're seeing when an individual has a new rash. But one thing we don't want to do is touch the rash or scabs of a person with monkeypox. I would say really, <laughs> if you see somebody <laughs> with a new rash, um, don't touch it yourself, right? Put gloves on if you are going to touch it, if it is your loved one or somebody um, that you're close with. But get that person to a professional, right? A healthcare professional mm-hmm. that can take a closer look and that will be able to evaluate um, this rash. So do not kiss, hug, or cuddle or have sex with someone uh, with a suspicious rash or monkeypox. Do not share eating utensils or cups. This is kind of what we talked about with COVID, right? Um, do not handle or touch the bedding towels or clothing of a sick person. Wash your hands often with soap and water or use an alcohol based hand sanitizer, um, especially after contact with sick people. This is the same thing we've been saying for the last two years. Um, I would even say prior to that, we've been saying this forever on health in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Right. Nothing different there. And in Central and West Africa, we want to avoid contact with um, animals that can spread monkeypox and especially we're talking about things like rodents um, and primates and so this is obviously if you're traveling to uh, those areas Um, you can also check out the cdc's travel health destination webpage. Um, you can just google that and it'll pop up so if you are traveling abroad um, i would even say in traveling right within the states (laughs) within the united states um, you can check out their travel web page and they can tell you what is going on um, in those locales so that you can protect yourself. Yeah. So um, far, or at least be armed with information. So far, we're seeing uh, mostly somewhat sustained outbreaks happening in major urban areas, major cities. And that's where we're seeing it so far. But if you're in a more rural area, that doesn't mean it's out of the question. You know, people are traveling all the time uh, and you saw a lot of variations during COVID and how it spread around the country. There were certain times it was happening like crazy in major cities. And then there were, there were some times where, you know, down South, it was sweeping through the Bible belt. So diseases don't discriminate like that. With that, we can move on.com. But ladies and gentlemen, do hit us up on our webpage um, on the podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments about uh, what we just went through as far as this update on monkeypox. And we'll move on with that said. As far as the COVID-19 pandemic, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we do want to touch upon that as well. The BA5 variant still going around. Um, that is the Omicron variant, ladies and gentlemen. Um, not going anywhere in for the foreseeable future, of course. And we do see cases Uh, ticking up. And so our message on this program, as we have been saying for a very long time now, um, this is not over. And there are still situations in which masking would be appropriate. 
Um, so especially you're going to be sustained. And, and this is the other thing, too. Right. Uh, Monkeypox is right. There's good evidence that it's droplet spread uh, to a degree. So wearing a mask will protect from that um, as well. So indoor areas, we're going to a large concert or a venue with a bunch of people. People are going to be breathing on each other, yelling and screaming, laughing. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? It might be appropriate to wear a mask. The cases are going up, as you said, all throughout the country. And so this is a time where, I mean, even for my own personal protection, I've been masking um, more. And again, we said that this is because of technology, right? We understand what's happening around us. We can then take action based on right case counts uh, wherever we are going. And I, would, I think that's the really b- the, the best use of everything that we have available to us these days. You know, just want to put it out there. Really think about masking up when engaging um, in large gatherings, um, as we do see those case counts t- ticking up. Fortunately, we do not see the number of hospitalizations or individuals having severe complications from COVID-19. That, those rates have been pretty flat, um, even in the face of this rise of infections throughout the country. So that's one great thing. And as we said, a uh, couple of reasons for that. One uh, being that we've had a lot of people, right, that have COVID and probably have some native protection or immunity from this virus. But also, let's not discount the impact of vaccination um, and really just think about the importance of that as we go forward, not only for COVID, but also when we talk about other infectious diseases. Um, Just a a really um, huge accomplishment in terms of having the availability of these highly effective vaccines and and the fact that they are protecting us. I know the case counts are going up and people are like, well, what about the case counts? People are still getting the infection and they're vaccinated. Well, guess what? As we said, the hospitalizations and mortality rates, the death rates, we see those flat and they're flat for a reason. Part of the, the a major part of that includes vaccines, right? Um, since the end, I can tell you a night and day difference from where we were at the start of all of this Mm -hmm. case counts going up and we saw hospitalizations and mortality rates go up tremendously in the weeks following those surges of infections. Right. Um, I don't see that in my day to day practice as an emergency physician Um, going into work every day. I'm not going in with sort of this foreboding feeling inside me thinking about you know, the conversations I would have to have with some of my patients they, as they sat there struggling to breathe. Right. We are not there anymore. Um, and so with that, I say all of that to say we got to continue doing what has worked for us as a country. Right. And really throughout the world in dealing with this pandemic. And part of that, as we said, the social distancing at times, we're going to have to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, we see an uptick in cases or infections around us we might have to distance a little you might have to wear a mask again right? yeah That's and not i was going gonna say this anywhere. is especially important mm-hmm. because of you know we just had july 4th a big holiday lots of people traveling partying hanging out gathering we are probably going to see another slight uptake in cases so yeah protecting yourself taking those precautions uh looking out for vulnerable members of your community that's still very mm-hmm. important and reducing the spread i remember i was i was pissed actually because um 
came down with COVID a couple of weeks ago. And I remember I was like, dang, man, I feel totally fine. Not totally mm-hmm. fine, but, you know, I had a little lightheadedness yeah. mm-hmm. and maybe a little achy, some chills at night. Um, kind of what I experienced when this all first started and wanted to go to work. I was like, no, Mo, you got to stay home because this is infection control, right? This is how we reduce the spread. Um, even though I'm careful, especially at work, I'm wearing a mask the whole time, washing my hands and, you know, trying not to, as much as I'm protecting myself from patients, I'm also protecting my patients, right? And with those practices, but the best thing was to stay home. One, to recover, right? There is some selfishness in this. I got to recover, I think probably faster than me running around um, chasing urine in the emergency department. Uh, but also, I probably kept a lot of people safe that would have been around me, coworkers, patients, other staff, um, all of these individuals. And so if we all took that approach and to the CEOs out there that might be listening, I don't know, you have some sort of power in your workplace. um, Take that into account when your employees call you and say that they're not doing too well. Right. One, that person will recover faster um, by letting them get the rest. Um, that they need to get through the illness, but also you'll be protecting the rest of your workplace. And therefore, in the long run, you will see probably more productivity. The data shows that, I'm telling you. But anyway. And not just that, yeah. Just Mm a slight little note to the CEOs too, Mm -hmm. you know. Take care of your employees, like you said. Even if they're there already at work uh, and they say they, they start to not feel well, Buy them an Uber home, you know, get, take care of them, send them home. You don't want them there. They don't want to be there. Uh, show you care. And then, you know, you'll be much more appreciated for it. And this way, nobody has to look awkward. You know how people are coughing in the office or something? Everybody's looking like, oh, <laughs> <up."> <laughs> like why are you coughing like that? Hacking cough. Yeah. Dude. And then you're sitting there. If you're um, the one doing it, you're like, I walked situations. in feeling fine. I walked in not wearing a mask. I yeah. talked to my coworkers. Now I'm feeling a little fine. It looks suspicious if I put on a mask. Just so you don't have to deal with that, you know? You don't have to deal with that. You don't have to go in a break room like, damn, what did they touch? Or like <laughs> <laughs> the refrigerator handle or something. You don't want to touch nothing in there. Um, nah, we don't got to deal with that. Just the sick people stay home, right? And we'll we'll shoulder the burden. That person will come back and we'll be stronger. Everybody because of it. And everybody will be healthy. Um, sorry to be too preachy, ladies and gentlemen, but that's the truth. We're just getting the truth out there, um, as always, on this program. But now... We finally get to the main topic of the program. It's definitely. On a much um, lighter note, if you know what I'm saying, Mo. I like that one, Reed. <laughs> Beautiful. You. It is July, ladies and gentlemen. We're midsummer, and it is UV Safety Awareness Month. So, yes, I, I do agree. This is a lighter-hearted part of the conversation because, yeah, man, this is this is about us, right, being out in the summer now. I think one thing that we want to put out there, right, we're not trying to contradict ourselves here on health in Harlem, mm-hmm. um, but we do have to acknowledge, right, that the sun emits a form of non-ionizing radiation known as ultraviolet waves. These waves are classified as UVA and UVB. So ultraviolet A, ultraviolet B, both can actually be pretty helpful to us, right? Yeah. Um, there are some benefits to UV ray exposure. Um, our bodies can use this energy from UV rays. We make vitamin D, a vitamin that is critically important in bone growth um, and our overall health. 
um, as it serves as a precursor to many hormones that are important in our neuromuscular and immune functions and other functions in the body. So to put it simply, right, it's a healthy part of life. Mm -hmm. As much as I want to be like, hey, man, you know, it's UV safety awareness month. We got to be all Mm -hmm. aware of everything as far as being exposed to ultraviolet radiation. And I can't do that because I'm going to be out there, you know, (laughs) Um, if I didn't have to work today, man, I'd probably be poolside with my daughters out there yeah. in the sun, like at times baking, um, even though there's umbrellas and stuff. But still, um, yeah. So we're not saying that, ladies and gentlemen. You're taking your yeah. proper precautions. You're not rubbing yourself up with tanning oil and then just sitting there for hours on end. OK, thank you very much, because um, that's exactly what I was doing uh, before we prepared for <laughs> this program. No, OK. <laughs> yes, I did. You know sit in the shade at times but there were times man we were out there um especially when we were in the water and we were all types of all types of exposed mm-hmm. um as far as you know just being out in the sun uh really enjoying this time of year as much as possible um and so that's one thing i will put it out there ladies and gentlemen i am a fan of that and i do think that it is healthy to get out and enjoy yourself in the summer to be in the sun with family and friends. But yes, of course, um, there are risks with doing that. So we are not contradicting ourselves here. Absolutely not. And just like everything, I think this is really one of those themes of life, right? Um, where too much yeah. of anything is a bad thing. Unless you're a Marvel comic book hero or something, too much of anything is a bad thing, <laughs> including radiation exposure. Um, and so it is. Yeah, this is radiation. We're talking about some other artificial sources of UV rays include tanning beds, ladies and gentlemen, mercury vapor lighting. So we often see this in stadiums and school gyms and even some halogen fluorescent and incandescent lights can uh, and even lasers can emit uh, UV rays. But really, when we talk about UV safety awareness month, we are mainly speaking sun exposure. Right. That is the predominant form in which we will be Mm -hmm. exposed to ultraviolet radiation. And that is why UV Safety Awareness Month is so critically important, because this is something that we are all dealing with, um, especially considering some of the things that we're seeing as far as climate change um, and changes in our atmosphere where right our exposure to this is even greater um, in recent decades. And so it's one yeah. of those things we really got to be aware of. And again, there, there seems to be some kind of theme with these awareness months in the sense that they're making you aware of something small that down the road causes large and expensive problems in the healthcare industry. So mm. we're going to talk about it later, but too much UV exposure can lead to cancer down the road. And that is something that's expensive to treat. For a government, it's a no-brainer telling your citizens, guys, buy spend your money but on sunscreen and put it on and take these precautions uh so we don't have to pay Mm -hmm. for your (laughs) pay for your medical expenses down the road uh that seems to be a theme it is a money cancer yeah exactly it's all a money game so i get it reed so when there's a huge public health campaign i get it reed this is kind of an investment in all of us right to make sure that we don't tax um, I guess you could look at it as taxing the system or even taxing ourselves. Right. Um, it, for those that are motivated, by, I think we got to hit on all prongs on this program. Right. There are some that are just going to be like, yeah, man, I don't want, uh, you know, my skin to shrivel up and look all dry and leathery. 
Um, and that's enough to get them to act. Right. Yeah. And then there are individuals who, you know, which I totally understand death. Right. Premature death is a motivating factor uh, for some individuals. And they're like, you know what, man, I want to live the longest and healthiest life possible. Um, and so I'm going to listen to Reed and Maurice and the Health in Harlem team. Uh, when we talk about UV safety and then you got the ones that are like, yo, for real, for real, everything is a money game for me. But guess what? <laughs> it affects your pockets, too, um, especially as Reed said in the long run. Right. And, um, you know, we might be investing in stocks and bonds and all of that stuff and retirement savings, looking for this huge payoff in the future. But guess what? If all of that money has to go into cancer care uh, in the future from a, a, a skin cancer that could have been largely prevented um, by being aware of right ultraviolet rays and the damage that they can cause. Well, guess what? It can hit your pockets, too. Right. And that uh, for those individuals out there, those money hungry, money grubbing, whatever you want to call. It. I'm not saying in the bad. I'm sorry. It's OK to hustle. It's OK to be about your money. But understand that this topic impacts that, too. So, uh, yeah, it's important for everybody. So UVB rays, ladies and gentlemen, have shorter wavelengths um, and they can penetrate the outer layer of skin. UVA raves, ra waves have longer wavelengths and they can penetrate the middle layer of skin. Uh, either way, ladies and gentlemen, essentially this is radiation exposure bombardment, if you will, right? Depending on especially the time of day that you are out and about. Um, this is literally causing damage to our bodies with long-term exposure. Uh, and so we can talk about the sort of biggest exposures, right? The one that is out there for all to see and that yeah. really can't hide unless you purposely uh, do something to protect it. We're talking about our skin, right? Most of the damage that we see uh, in terms of ultraviolet ray exposure, we see it in the skin. Um, and, and that is one thing that we really need to hone in on, because when we talk about especially the long term complications, especially as Reed brought up this long term sustained damage that is taking place to our skin, uh, it could be very detrimental, both in the short term, but especially long term in terms of increased cancer risks, uh, which we'll discuss a little bit later. But in the short term, Reed, do you mind breaking it down as far as exposure to uv rays and what we see in the short term as far as damage absolutely this is something that i would say most everyone is familiar with and that would be sunburns and so these are caused by uvb rays which are the most powerful typically you'll experience a sunburn in the day day few days after uh, uv exposure and it's going to be redness of your skin maybe even blistering, peeling. You might feel a headache. You might feel tired, nauseous. Also, you can have UV exposure in your eyes. That's a really, really important and dangerous part of UV exposure is exposure to your eyes. If you've ever you know, been exposed to too much sun, maybe the next day your eyes feel dry, kind of painful. That is also a symptom of UV exposure. UVA rays, on the other hand, they are damaging, of course but they don't necessarily sunburn you like they like UVB rays, uh, even though they can sunburn you. They're what's used mostly in tanning beds. So if you're in there for too long, you can get sunburned. 
but UVA rays are most likely associated with skin aging and skin wrinkling over time, as well as potentially some cancers. So yeah, in the short term, you're going to be burnt, you're going to be tired, you're going to be not feeling good, peeling, all that bad stuff. And then in the long term, if you get if you let that happen over and over again, it can be very, very damaging. And, and that's the thing. I mean, in the short term, right? I've seen people who have never been sunburned. Um, that's one thing. Thank God. I've had heat rashes. You know, sometimes you get a little heat rash mm-hmm. um, that can develop and it could be a little itchy, a little uncomfortable. But people that are sunburned, man, I've seen it, witnessed it, friends of mine, family, and it's so uncomfortable. They are miserable. Yeah, it's right? brutal. Uh, and, and this is something, yeah, it's, it's brutal. You've had it before, Reed? Yeah, I mean, never to a horrible extent, but I've had some burns mm-hmm. in my life, definitely. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've had, as I said, friends, and it is particularly uncomfortable, um, something that I never want to experience. Um, and, and that's the short term. And, and one thing that I think we need to understand is that, Yes, we do see this more commonly in lighter skinned individuals, right? So the lighter mm-hmm. your skin, the more susceptible you are to having this sort of short term damage, right? This short short term injury to your skin leading to sunburn. Uh, but we can also see it in darker skinned individuals. And case in point, my sister-in-law actually called um, last week. Actually, he was talking to my, my brother-in-law and he was saying that um, his wife, my sister-in-law, they went out to the beach and everybody's having a good time. She was like, look, I want to tan. I'm going to sit here with no tanning lotion and just bake because um, she wanted a tan, which is cool. Totally understood. Um, but she developed sunburn and was miserable. Right. And she is dark skinned, just like myself. And so black folks out there, right, you are not immune to the damage that can be caused to our skin, both in the short term and even in the long term, which we'll get into. Um, but yeah, essentially, no one is, quote unquote, totally safe. Right. Um, and so we all need to think about protecting ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bob Marley yes. died from a form of skin cancer, acral lentiginous melanoma. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if that's caused by exposure to the sun, but uh, that was what originally sparked his death. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about melanoma. And that's true. Um, he did die from acral indigenous melanoma, very uh, sort of a rare subset of uh, melanoma, but it is very, very dangerous, very aggressive. And you can have increased risk from chronic long term skin exposure. But let's talk about even just some of the, the things that we commonly see, um, especially from that UVA exposure over a long time. We talked about the long term damage that can uh, result from this that can lead to things right all the unsightly stuff that we think about and try to prevent with the billion dollar um skincare industry mm-hmm. all the stuff that we think about and talk about and spend tons of money on well guess what it can lead to damage or uv exposure can lead to damage causing wrinkles causing our skin to age faster um and it can be pretty unsightly we typically see this manifest as what we call actinic keratosis. This is the rough, scaly skin lesions that are essentially precancerous changes in our skin resultant from long-term damage from ultraviolet rays. And again, this is many, many times the result of many years of chronic sun exposure, 
uh, that leads to these changes. And ultimately, these lesions, this actinic keratosis can become what we call squamous cell carcinoma, which can be particularly dangerous and, and deadly um, as it is. It can spread um, and be aggressive. Yeah, and not just that. You don't want scaly patches of skin on you. I mean, it commonly forms nah, on the man. places that are most exposed when you get sunburn or even sun exposed. So your arms, your face, your lips, your nose, your mouth. You don't want to walk around with little scaly patches of skin, even if they don't turn into cancer, which is a big if, but it's unsightly. And if you do have them, a lot of times to prevent them turning into cancer, they use lasers and laser them off, which is going to leave a scar. Uh, so yeah, it, as much as you wouldn't mm -hmm. want to, you know, pop a pimple because it would leave a scar, you wouldn't want to get sunburn and get these scaly patches of skin. Uh, and these things are not just caused by when, when we say chronic sun exposure, uh, of course we mean getting burnt over and over again, but you don't necessarily have to be burnt. Uh, skin damage occurs the second you step outside into the sun, uh, even when you're just tanning, if you're not burnt at all, there's always damage going on to your DNA, obviously a lot more when you get burnt, mm -hmm. but, uh, any amount is not necessarily healthy. The small amount is, but got to take proper precautions got to take the proper precautions really there are other strategies we'll get into this ladies and gentlemen as far as uh, reducing that exposure um, but really we just have to be mindful as we go forward um, and enjoy our lives uh, in the sun ultimately aside from these as we said precancerous lesions this actinic keratosis um, there are other types of skin cancer that can result from, or at least be increased, uh, the risk being increased from sun exposure or UV uh, ray exposure. Uh, one of them is basal cell carcinoma, which is a slower growing cancer of the skin. Fortunately, this has a 100% survival rate if it is caught early and removed promptly uh, before it, is, it spreads to adjacent structures. But as less harmful as this is compared to uh, the other cancer that we talked about, squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, this one, while it is not the one that is going to spread to many parts of the body, is very uh, rare that this particular cancer of the skin spreads to you know far-flung portions of the body. Um, it can spread locally, right, and so um, it can you know really lead to disfiguring changes, um, especially those that are periorbital. So it can literally invade the the orbit or the eye socket um, and cause disfiguring changes, even if removed, right? A lot of local structures, local tissues can be damaged um, and it can be uh, pretty disfiguring and difficult to recover from. It's one of those things that, right, as, as much as we are attuned to our appearance and as much as we do, right, to take care of ourselves, as we said, buying all the fancy creams and all these things, um, well, guess what? We do need to be mindful of our exposure in the sun. As much as we want that nice tan, we got to be aware of the damage that can be caused and how that tan can lead to a lot of problems uh, down the line. Finally, there is melanoma, which Reed mentioned, right? This is the most worrisome form of skin cancer as it is way more aggressive than these other types of cancer, mm -hmm. the basal cell carcinoma, the squamous cell carcinoma. Um, melanomas can be very difficult to diagnose, 
um, and they are also very quickly growing and spread very easily. This has the poorest prognosis, um, especially when we look at certain subsets, such as what Reed mentioned, um, acrolentigenous melanoma, um, which can be very, very difficult to pick up and very dangerous. Um, and so some real risks, right? These long-term risks. And I don't, I don't even want to say long-term, Reed, because uh, depending on, you know, when we talk about the development of skin cancer, I think the, the typical picture that comes into people's minds are much older individuals, right? Elderly individuals that are developing this, which we do see, right, as a larger subset of the population coming down with these illnesses, mm -hmm. but it can happen at younger ages. Um, so those individuals that are out there chronically exposed to the sun every day, day in, day out, the surfers, the farmers, um, individuals, mountain climbers, right, that are constantly in the sun. And especially if they're not protecting themselves properly, we can see the onset yeah. of these changes, this damage to the skin, um, including the development of skin cancers. We can see these at much younger ages. Right. And so um, this is why it is is really very, very important that we protect ourselves and thankful. You know, I'm thankful for UV Safety Awareness Month because it's just one of those things that um, amidst all the other things that we have to sort of think about and, and deal with in our day to day lives. Um, I can even tell you from personal mm -hmm. experience that the sun is not always at the forefront of my thinking as far as how much I'm in the sun. Uh, sometimes, like I said, we were in the pool. We'd be there for hours, man. And I'm not even thinking two or three hours, I would probably do one application of sunscreen yeah. when after being there for four hours, believe me, I know it sounds crazy, y'all, but I'll, I'm there with my daughters <laughs> at least this summer. We've been there for like four, six, seven hours sometimes, um, leaving like when it closes after we got there at 2 p.m., we're leaving at like nine. So we were literally <laughs> in the sun forever. Um, but yeah, that's that's the thing is that it can easily slip our minds when we're so engaged and having so much fun and enjoying the summer weather. Yeah. I mean, even for me, you mentioned people who are working out in the sun, like farmers and stuff. My first job ever when I was 15, I was a ski instructor and I worked in the winter on a mountain and with all that white snow around you reflecting mm. all those UV rays. Uh, when I worked a few days a week, I found myself, I had a tan line right below my eyes because that's where my goggles were. Uh, and then the rest of the bottom of my face was really, really tan. And I was like, man, I really got to start putting on sunscreen because this is not good. In the winter, on, a, on yeah. skiing, right? You wouldn't think exactly. about that. It's just one of those things that you don't think about. Um, but that is the environment that is that can be very, very significant as far as the, the amount of sun exposure. You know, with the, the sun, the rays, these UV rays literally, literally not only bombarding you from above, but being reflected off that snow uh, back onto you. Um, that can be that could lead to a lot of damage. Now, one might ask, right, because when we are, we're talking about the adverse effects of UV rays all throughout our bodies. And I think it could be hard to make this connection, at least for me, it was in terms of how are our skin and eyes related when it comes to UV rays? Well, when we talk about these two organ systems, that are particularly sensitive to sensitive to UV rays and exposure, you know, really the answer is that they are just the most exposed um, on our bodies, right? The skin um, being exposed, right? If it's not covered um, continuously uh, to UV rays, but then we think about our eyes and our vision, how important it is 
And really that that's the way that we see, right, is just taking in this light through our eyes um, in order to have a vision. And then we, we begin to it begins to make a lot of sense to me as far as why is this is sort of the other major place where we can have problems develop with continuous UV light exposure. Uh, so when we think of the cells that compose the eyes and the skin, right, they're composed of cells. And this is the other connection, ladies and gentlemen, these cells divide a lot. Um, so our skin cells constantly replacing themselves, right, constantly dividing, multiplying, um, especially the outer surfaces of the skin. Um, there are a lot of there's a lot of multiplication or replication of cells. Um, and when cells are multiplying or replicating, they are susceptible to mutations or damage, especially when they are being bombarded or damaged by something like UV light. And so it's the same thing with the eyes, right? The especially when we look at the cornea, um, the outer covering over the pupil or iris of our eyes, um, this protecting covering, protective covering that really protects us from dirt, chemicals, germs, even filters out uh, some UV light. Um, they, these cells turn over a lot, right? They replicate a lot. They multiply and divide a lot and replenish themselves. But during that period of replication, they are particularly susceptible to changes in the DNA that can result in mutations leading to um, problems, including development of eye cancers, um, right? And even just damage to those structures uh, of the eye. So we're talking, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the development of things such as cataracts. So thickening and clouding of the lens that can lead to photosensitivity and eventual blindness if they are not um, extracted or corrected. Uh, we can also see things such as growths like pterygia or a pterygium that can begin to develop. It's these, basically this, this increased amount of connective tissue uh, that can basically come from the middle portion of your eye and connect uh, to your cornea. Um, it can be very thick. It can be pretty unsightly and it can even be very uncomfortable for individuals. Um, and we see this a lot in some of those, as we were talking about before, surfers, fishermen, farmers, anyone that really spends a lot of time in the sun, they can have these changes, especially if they're not wearing lenses or sunglasses to protect them. And we can also see something called photokeratitis. Uh, so the outer portion or the outermost portion of the rest of the eye, the conjunctiva, um, basically the, the clear covering that sits over the sclera. So the whites of our eyes, the sclera, there is a surface um, that sits over that that covers the eye. And that's your conjunctiva. Right. Um, another area that multiplies very quickly It is another protective layer of the eye, but it is being bombarded by UV rays. Mm -hmm. And from that, we can develop keratitis um, over that those areas or photokeratitis where again from being so beat up it's like a sunburn of the eye if you will where the eye can become very inflamed very red irritated it can even be right over the long term can lead to changes in the eye that can uh, affect our vision yeah. and stuff going forward and so right this is something that can be debilitating when we talk about things like cataracts and we talk about um, the advancement or the increased rate of things like macular degeneration, which is, you know, among the most common causes of blindness, um, especially in the elderly elderly. These are all things that can be 
uh, mediated by UV ray exposure, right? Um, and so it's it's really paramount that we, I mean, when I think about <laughs> one of the, and I think this is, for, I, I don't have data to, to back this up, um, but when we talk about the sense that people fear the most in terms mm -hmm. of losing um, eyesight, I think is chief among them. Like everybody, I, thank God for this. I didn't lose my sense of smell when I had COVID or taste. Thank God I didn't lose my taste, man, because I think that's number two for me. <laughs> but like, but blindness, you know, blindness for many people, that's the thing that we fear most in terms of losing just our ability to see. Right. Well, this is at risk when we when we talk about long term exposure to although if you get enough radiation maybe it'll be like a daredevil type situation oh for <laughs> all right <laughs> i mean i wish that was the case man like i said if we were in the comics yeah great be out there all day um but yeah ladies and gentlemen uh i mean who knows i'm not gonna say it's impossible um but yeah it's probably not gonna happen <laughs> probably not gonna happen for you right you will be the person with the cataracts and the pterygia and photokeratitis so yeah, don't take that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the the reason that UV Awareness Month is so important is, you know, there obviously are some hereditary links to skin cancer, but it's not like other cancers in that sense, uh, in which it's largely controlled by hereditary means. Um, this is preventable in in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of tools in the toolbox to help prevent it. Uh, so we've mentioned them already, like wearing sunglasses and or protective glasses, uh, when you go out, wearing hats, wearing clothing that covers your skin, and using sun protection, sunscreen. I mean, when I was down in, in Costa Rica, when, where you, based on where you are uh, over the equator, if you're closer to the equator, the sun is much more intense. And so the UV you know, was off the scale down in Costa Rica compared to what I'm used to mm. up in New York. Uh, and so even though it was crazy hot, I wore long sleeves the whole time. Because I knew I, I don't have the presence of mind, and I can't apply sunscreen frequently enough and often enough to prevent burning myself when I'm out there all day. So I wore long sleeves, and let me tell you, it was so worth it. At the end of the day, everybody else I was with was sunburnt, and I was feeling mm. great. Everybody was sunburned and miserable. Add that in. Everybody there. was laying in bed, and I was like, "Come on, guys, let's go out. Let's get drinks. Let's do something." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah definitely i'm curious when did you go to costa rica uh that was 2020 january right before the pandemic happened wow and you didn't tell me bro no i'm joking <laughs> i'm messing with you <laughs> yeah it is it is it, it really is um so critically uh important to protect yourself and one thing i've noticed um you know now being a homeowner who is very 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 interested in landscapes um, so we had some landscaping done, but I'll tell you all of the, and the sun gets crazy down here. Um, fortunately, there's a lot of trees, a lot of shade There can be um, in Georgia, but uh, there are, I mean, obviously you're working on somebody's lawn, you know, you're out there in the middle of the sun, but all of the landscapers, they wear, as, as Reed was saying, they wear long sleeves, pants, long sleeves, um, sunglasses, they wear the sun hats. And what they're doing are protecting themselves, right? These are individuals. This is sort of a work hazard um, for some uh, individuals. And that is the uniform. That is what you have to do to protect yourself. And so the same thing, you're going out for a walk or a run. Well, guess what? 
you know, as as much as we don't want you to overheat um, because we talked about heat emergencies right um, on this program and the importance of sort of making sure that we are not allowing our body temperatures to get too high, causing heat exhaustion and in the worst case, things like heat stroke um, at the same time, protecting your skin. Right. There are garments out there, ladies and gentlemen, that um, allow us to not only cool ourselves, but also that can that they can protect our skin. Um, right. So wearing these layers of, con- of clothing over our skin, protecting it from the sun, um, but at the same time that have sort of wicking functions where they take the sweat away from our skin and evaporate. And so those can actually be cooler than some other garments you might wear. If you wear a short sleeve cotton shirt, guess what? Especially if that shirt is um, dark, right? It's not only absorbing all this UV uh, light, but also it is, um, it could be uh, become very sweaty. And once that happens, you're exposed to more UV light and you're also trapping a lot of heat on your body. Um, So that is not the garment to wear. You'll probably see somebody wearing that looser cut covering over the skin that is wicking that moisture away from their body. And they're actually in the end cooler than you are with your short sleeve shirt. Yeah. And moving on to sunscreens, that's another tool in the toolbox. Uh, And what I mean by that is sunscreen is if you just use sunscreen to protect yourself, that's probably not going to be enough if you're out there a lot. There's some things, there's some choices that you can make to be an informed consumer uh, that really make an impact when you're picking out sunscreens. So first thing you want to look into is SPFs, which stands for sun protection factor. Uh, It's kind of a confusing system. I don't think it's really that scientific or consumer friendly, but basically you want to get anything SPF 30 or higher. Uh, SPF 30 does the trick. You might need to reapply it a little bit more often than SPF 50 or something, but uh, 30 and up is good for you. Um, And basically what SPF means is that it's the amount of time it takes you to burn versus when you have no sunscreen. If you're wearing SPF 15, technically it should take 15 times the amount of UV exposure that it normally requires you to burn for you to begin to burn. So a lot of people get confused by this because they're like, okay, so normally if I'm not wearing sunscreen and I'm sitting outside, it takes me an hour to start burning. So if I put on SPF 15, it'll take me 15 hours. So I just need to put it on once and I'm good, right? But it's not like that, you know, it's uh, UV exposure, it racks up really, really quickly. Um, and it changes during the, the time in the day where the sun is, uh, cloud coverage, all that kind of stuff. Um, so really, you should be reapplying your sunscreen every two hours at the least. And there's a couple different types of sunscreens, mostly chemical or physical sunscreens. Uh, and what I mean by this is... Everybody knows like the classic like lifeguard nose covered in zinc, uh, shiny, chalky looking nose. That's what that's a physical sunscreen. And usually uh, physical sunscreens are like a metal, something reflective. And the way they work is by sitting on top of the skin and reflecting uh, those UV rays away from your skin. So if you look at the active ingredients in your sunscreen, you'll see something uh, like zinc. But with chemical sunscreens, Mm. they sort of soak into the skin. So they take a little bit longer to start working once you apply them. You need to give them time to soak into your skin. And then they form uh, chemical reactions to neutralize the UV rays uh, that are hitting your skin. Um, So they both work. They both have their benefits and their downsides. But 
one thing I learned, I'm not going to lie, looking into the show, I learned that there's a physical sunscreen, uh, like a zinc sunscreen for your face. And it's just like a, like a makeup brush, like a powder brush. And you just can keep it with you with like a little foldy thing. And you can just take a little powder brush and put it on your face. And it doesn't even, you can't even see it. I was like, not going to lie. Like, that sounds real nice. Not I'll do it in <laughs> private, but, <laughs> but I mean, uh, definitely. Um, that sounds so are, effortless, though. It does. It does sound. And that's the thing is that a lot of this, when you think about it, is effortless because, right, we, we, we wake up, we shower, we put lotion on. Well, guess what? Our lotion for the day might just be the sunscreen. Um, and one thing that has been typically shown, ladies and gentlemen, is that as much as we, you know, there are there's data to show that the knowledge of um, Americans, right, as far as UV safety um, and UV exposure, we're definitely doing better, right? The rates of individuals that are doing things to protect themselves from the sun, um, that has been steadily increasing, fortunately. Uh, however, when we talk about wearing things like sunscreen, right, we, we do have some misconceptions, and one of them being um, that you're invincible when you put this stuff on, right? Um, especially, you know, you're walking around your SPF 50 on and you think you're the man, you can just expose yourself to this. Well, no, one thing that's been consistently shown is that there are layers of protection. So wearing not only the sunscreen, but as we said, um, these, uh, special garments, right. And they actually have just like SPF, um, uh, or sun protection factor, right. There is ultraviolet protective factor or UPF for certain clothing. There are UPF ratings, for clothing and specially made clothing um, that not only not only will protect you from the sun, all right, from the UV rays, but also keep you cool um, during these summer months. That's what we need to look into. So it's the layers of protection, not only, as we said, the, the wearing the sunscreen, but also um, making sure that we use these other methods of protecting our skin. So the uh, sun hats, right, um, that are not porous and not allowing light to get in to touch our faces. Um, wearing these special garments with um, that UPF factor, um, but also order those UPF ratings, uh, but also in the application of these uh, sunscreens, uh, one thing that has been typically shown is that we don't apply enough of the sunscreen, meaning, right, we're doing these very shallow layers, and this is me, actually, I'm putting it on all delicately, you know, meanwhile, I look at my wife do it, and they're like gooped up. Um, all over the place, it's like dripping off of them. But that's how you want to do it. It needs to be a thick layer of these substances on the skin. I don't want you to be lathered up in it, but still, you want to apply a thicker layer than you probably used to applying. And also, you want to apply it more frequently. So if you're going to be in the pool, you know, swimming around, and let's say you even get out and dry yourself off with your towel, well, guess what? You might be due to reapply your sunscreen at that point. Um, and even if it's been a couple of hours, even if you haven't been doing anything, you're just chilling on the beach, getting a tan after a couple of hours, um, about two hours, you want to reapply um, your skin lotion. And also the last thing is just limiting, right, the times of day that we're out there. Um, so typically between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., that's when the sun is shining the most bright, right, um, anywhere for most places, I would say. Um, and so really trying to limit our activities or at least when we're in the sun right before those times so 
that's my thing. I get out for my runs nowadays. Like the other day I went six in the morning because I knew the sun would not be beaming down at that time. It's still kind of dark out and I will definitely not be running uh, 10. I don't think I've done an afternoon run at all this summer, you know, and definitely um, running in the evenings. Right. So well after um, six, seven p.m., when I know that the sun is not beaming down on me, um, those are the times that I go out. So we need to be mindful of when we are going to be engaging in activities outdoors as well. And this way we can optimize our chances of success and decrease in our risk of all of the things we've discussed on this program. Definitely. And the the last thing I want to note is that hopefully you're taking care of your skin, using cosmetic products, doing whatever, um, but also be conscious of what products you're using, because if you use some of them, they can increase your sensitivity to UV rays or being on certain medications can also increase your sensitivity uh, so just look out for that. Look out for what other products you're using and see how that might change. In that case, you know, you might have to apply sunscreen just going out mm-hmm. on a cloudy day. And maybe you should be. And including the winter. That that blew my mind. But you're right, Reed. And thank you for sharing that story. And, and yeah. also, I want to thank you for joining me, man, um, in getting this show done. Um, I know we're probably both due to get out now and enjoy the day in the sun, probably. <laughs> um you know, it's sort of getting out there. But ladies and gentlemen, as always, we thank you for listening to Health in Harlem. Um, and we thank you in advance for sharing anything that you've learned on the program uh, today. Just, you know, don't be stingy with this information, um, as I'm pretty sure there is a loved one, a friend, co-worker, somebody that can use this um, and that will benefit from it. So, yeah, spread the word in that regard about what you've learned. Yeah, everybody knows somebody. Everybody knows somebody. For real, for real. Everyone knows somebody who refuses to wear sunscreen yeah. or who does that, you know, just is out there. Or who had to listen day. to them complain from being sunburned. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, yes, thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Also, I want to thank the rest of the Health in Harlem team. Uh, shout out to them all, Giorgio, Anastasia, Michael Holmes. Um, we want to shout out our team. And also, we want to shout out WHCR. And, of course, the leaders of the organization, Angela Hardin, the general manager, Tina Dixon, the production manager, just thank them for the work that they do in keeping the station up and running. And also to the rest of the DJs, they're supplying some wonderful programming uh, for the community and beyond. And also, ladies and gentlemen, we, as we always say each and every week, this show is dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas. Harlem, take care of yourself.